Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. So it is just me, and that gives me a chance to spend a lot of time with our guest today, Pamela Wilson. Uh, she is an expert in caregiving, an advocate, a speaker, and author of the Caregiving Trap book. And there are many of us who get trapped, trapped into caregiving and trapped into ways in which we're probably counterproductive in terms of what we are trying to do. Pamela has a master's degree uh, and a uh, bachelor's degree and is a certified national caregiving expert. 20 years of experience as a court-appointed guardian, power of attorney, and care manager. They serve as her platform to help organizations increase awareness of caregiving as an essential role in life. And in the caregiving trap, uh, she takes a look at ways in which I think we can become more effective caregivers. She produces a podcast, The Caring Generation, and Pamela Wilson, thank you so much for coming on Caregiver SOS On Air. It's great to talk with you. Ron, it is my pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about what attracted you to this whole field of, uh, of caregiving. Both personal experience and then work experience. So I had a sister killed in a car accident unexpectedly when I was 17. My parents passed away. My brother passed away. And I always had a love for older people. When I was young, I was the, the youngest of six children. And my mother would take me to go see grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles. And I loved being around older people and wanted to somehow eventually find a way to give back, which I do today. And your own experience with caregiving, uh, you had loss in your family, certainly. What a shock to have a sister killed in an auto accident. Uh, in, in what ways were you caregiving? You know, it was hard in that situation for my parents. You know, my mom would say, well, you know, parents are supposed to lose children or, you know, children are supposed to lose parents. Parents are never supposed to lose their children. Right. And so in that, it was just watching my parents' grief and, and my grief over the loss of my sister. And then my mother had so many health issues at such a young age. She unfortunately was a lifelong smoker, which led to heart disease and mini strokes and a whole list of health issues that really she experienced, you know, beginning in her 30s all the way until the time that she died at 69, Wow. And so we were, you know, all of us children at different ages were caregivers for my parents. That's a heavy responsibility. It is. And there are, there are so many caregivers, though, Ron, and you probably know this. The number of millennial caregivers today, so, you know, children, I should say children, but adults in their 20s and their 30s who are caring for baby boomer parents, the number is just escalating. It's, it's now 25% of the caregiving population. And I talk to a lot of these caregivers in my groups, and they are so stressed. Well, I have a friend who is caring for her husband who fractured a hip recently. Uh, he, he has been health up and down, but uh, he's been pretty mobile. He's been okay. 
uh, and, and suddenly uh, he can't get around. He's uh, 80 years old, uh, in a wheelchair, has a walker, but finds it very difficult to use. And my friend, from loving her husband and sort of caring for him, suddenly becomes a 24-7 caregiver. And I talked to her the other day, and if I didn't know better, well, maybe I do, she sounded like she was drowning. All of the responsibilities. She can't sleep. He gets up in the middle of the night, thinks he can walk to the bathroom alone. He can't. And so she's up and down. Uh, he's a big man, six foot, uh, well over 200 pounds. And she's maybe, maybe five, five, you know, and dripping wet, maybe 130 pounds. She can't lift him. She can't transfer him from the chair to the bed. These are stories I know you have heard over and over and over again. Uh, and uh, for someone like that, what do you tell them? How do you keep them from drowning? Spousal caregivers are, they are so dedicated. I mean, all caregivers are, but for some reason, the spousal caregivers that I talk to, like your friend, want to be the caregiver. And they don't want to, if they can, find other ways to get help. Even sometimes if they have children, they're afraid to approach their children. Husbands and wives feel this, this level of commitment to be that caregiver. And all of the research shows that eventually, for many spouses, probably like your friend, their health issues grow and they become ill in a number of ways. And at some point, you know, become really, I hate to say the word risk, but risky to the person they're caring for because of their own health issues. And, and maybe when they get exhausted, they're tired, they're not sleeping, our judgment is not so good. So for exhausted caregivers, it, it's really the idea of acknowledging the fact that if you could get a little bit of help, even volunteers or friends to help out, give you a break, you know, a day a week, you would be a better caregiver for your spouse. Not that you can't do it, but having time off and having a break makes you a better caregiver. That's pretty good advice, but you have to be willing and able to do that. Yes. Now, she said to me the other day, they were fortunate to have long-term insurance. And so they have someone come in for four hours a day. And I said to her, but that leaves 20 hours for you. And she said, I know. And then over the weekend, both of the paid caregivers canceled, didn't come oh. in. And it, it's just so disruptive uh, in your life. She can't walk away. So what do you do? You know, in those situations, on the caregiver situation, I would have her or recommend having two agencies in place. So when I managed 24-hour care for my clients, when I was a care manager, I always had two agencies in place so that if, like what happened to your friend, two caregivers just don't show up on the weekend, the agencies would work together and call the other one and say, we had a call out. Do you have anybody that can show up at Mrs. Smith's house? So balance it with two agencies so that you always have a backup. And then this is going to sound crazy. Everybody tells me that I'm crazy when I suggest this, but it works. So I had a client 
who lived in Steamboat Springs here in Colorado. And Steamboat Springs, very small community, really not a lot of care services. I went to local churches. I went to volunteer organizations. And I found people who were willing to give their time to help my client at no charge. There are a lot of really good people out there uh, who are willing to help, but caregivers have this great fear of asking for help and, and hearing a no, and then they feel like they can't help or they feel like they're imposing. There's a lot of help out there if people will just ask. You just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. We're talking with Pamela Wilson, who is an expert in caregiving, speaks about it around the country, advocates on behalf of caregivers, and has a book that if you're in the caregiving uh, business right now, you ought to take a look at, The Caregiving Trap. So I pulled out some of the recommendations that you uh, have in, in your book, uh, Pamela, and let me bounce a couple of off of you and, and let you explain why these are important. One is recognize early signs that loved ones will require special care and advocacy. Expand on that. What does that mean? This one is so important, and it's it's really noticing what I call the little things. So it, it can happen when you see your mom or dad or a spouse, and something has changed, and maybe you're not quite sure what it is, but maybe, for example, they're not as physically active as they once were. Maybe their eating habits are changing. Maybe they've lost a little weight or they're sleeping more or, you know, they don't get around as easily. All of these little things are significant. And I'll, I'll talk about falls for a minute. So statistics, about 30% of people over age 65 have a fall. Only one third of those go to see a doctor. The other two thirds just brush it off, don't think it's important. When older adults start to have balance issues, physical therapy, occupational therapy, there's, there's help for strength training, for balance training that can prevent falls and hip fractures, which are very common. Same thing with nutrition, same thing with not being able to sleep at night. There's usually some type of connection with a chronic disease or a health issue, but we have to take that initiative to say, this is a change and I should investigate it so that it doesn't become more troublesome or more significant. And when you say advocacy, what do you mean? We have to step up and, and speak for our loved ones if, if they can't because of dementia or if they can't because they're just shy and they don't know how to be that, I call it the squeaky wheel. Hmm. So when my mom, a uh, true example, my mom had heart disease and, and the doctor said, you know, you have to lose weight. You have to lose weight. My mom was, she didn't know what to do. So I called, being the industrious child, I called like 10 different, you know, Weight Watchers and diet centers and things in Omaha where we lived. And I had them mail her information so that she had the information and then she could make a choice. So sometimes it's just the idea of, of you know, helping someone gather information to make a choice or asking permission to go to a doctor appointment with them and speak up a little bit because sometimes, you know, parents just don't know what to say or a spouse may not know what to say. Now, another great exercise that uh, you have in your list, initiate conversations about sensitive mental and physical health issues. And if you're a child caring for a spouse, that can be very uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable. And it's, it's best to try to do it in a kind way. So 
these conversations will fail if we say, well, gosh, mom, you're so forgetful. Why can't you remember? That is not the right approach. Right. The right approach might be, mom, you know, I'm noticing that, you know, you're might be forgetting some things. Are you noticing that yourself? You were going to call me back and, and I don't know if I missed your call, but I didn't hear from you. And so I'm, I'm a little worried. Or if you notice things like sticky notes all over your parents' house, or if the doctor called you and said, well, your mom was supposed to show up for an appointment and she didn't. So all of these little things can be talked about in a kind way versus a blaming manner, which does not work. And uh, so the best is to be gentle in that approach. Very gentle. And, and almost, you could say, you know, sometimes these things happen to me too. I know that I get a little forgetful, you know, sometimes when I'm distracted. Is it that you're distracted or, or is something else going on? And maybe should we go to the doctor and just have this looked at so that, you know, we know that it's forgetfulness and maybe not something else. Stick with us. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Pamela Wilson, author of The Caregiving Trap. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We appreciate you sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernil, our co-host on special assignment today on the Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. We're talking with Pamela Wilson, a caregiving expert, author of The Caregiving Trap. And we're going through a, a wonderful checklist that uh, Pamela has on her website and, and in her book uh, that helps caregivers navigate the process of caregiving. And we've been going through these, and I'm going to Bring another one up to Pamela. You say acknowledge the challenges caregiving brings to family interactions and relationships. And this one is important because it's it's acknowledging that this is not a one-sided situation. So for example, mom or dad, I know that you know, getting older and experiencing what you're experiencing, whether it's a health issue or something else, that must be really difficult. And and I want to be empathetic and supportive, and but I've never done this before. So mom or dad, how can I help you? How would you like to be helped? So that it's kind of more of a partnership than, than one side feeling that they have to be totally responsible for everything, you know, and saying, how do we work this out together? How can I help you? How can you help me? Years ago, um, I was living in San Antonio, still live in San Antonio, my brother, uh, living where I grew up in Cleveland, and he was helping care for my mom, who uh, uh, physically was failing, mentally was perfect, not a problem at all. And I remember I called him one day and I said, you know, mom has such great mental faculties, 
you know, maybe getting her to the library once in a while would, would be a good idea. And so my brother Jimmy said, I think that's a great idea. I'll have her on the next airplane to San Antonio. <laughs> you can care for her and you can take her to the library. How does that sound? And what I realized, of course, was I had stuck my foot in it. He was doing a great job. He didn't need my suggestions. And, and, and his answer let me realize I would never ask or suggest again. But that is not the point. So here's what I tell caregivers. I talked to a caregiver last week and she said, oh my gosh, my best friend is telling me this. My cousin told me this and somebody else told me that. And I'm just angry at them because they're interfering. And I said, oh no, 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 no. Look at this as they want to help, but they don't know how to help because you're that caregiver. So instead of telling them no or saying, you know, I don't want your suggestions, why don't you say, gosh, that's a great idea, but we don't need that right now. What we need is this. Can you help with this? You know, can you help with this? Can you help with that? So, so it's up to the caregiver to look at these as what I call little door openers and little blessings of the fact that somebody is interested enough to make a suggestion, may not be perfect suggestion, but ask them to do something else to get the help that you need. That's a really good idea. Unfortunately, mom and dad are gone, or I would try that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. I mean, it, it happens. They both lived late 80s and 90s. You also say, identify, identify actions that you can take to facilitate clear and open communication. And, and that's a biggie, communication. Communication is so big. And, you know, in these days of, of COVID where we can't always see each other or show up, or sometimes children are afraid to go visit parents, you know, whether it's, it's a Zoom call or FaceTime on a phone or emails, just to keep everybody updated and invite them to participate. So again, part of that communication is, you know, this is, this is how mom or dad are, this is what's going on, you know, we could use some help here. And even parents can take control. So some, some seniors are really good on the computer they could send out email updates to their children saying, well, this is what's going on with, you know, mom and dad this week. We'd love to see you. We'd love to have you come visit. We need this type of help. So again, the communication is not only going one way, but it's parents to children, children to parents or spouse to spouse and, and then out to children. That's really a good point. And uh, I think more and more seniors, despite the stereotype, have become very adept at technology from Zoom to FaceTime, as you point out. Uh, and, and that seems to be working pretty well for a whole lot of families. It is. More families are, you know, it, it's funny. Some families are saying, I haven't seen my sister in 20 years, but I saw her on Zoom on the computer. You know, we've had this technology, but we haven't realized the benefits right. of actually using it. The next one, set boundaries that allow you to avoid burnout and not sacrifice your life and well-being. And boy, is that important. This is so important. And it's the idea of caregivers, what I call caregivers, becoming too helpful too soon. So to help our parents and loved ones maintain their independence and their self-esteem about what they can do, as a caregiver, we want to only do things that they can't do, not things that they can do, even if they do them slowly. A lot of caregivers who work will rush around and they think, well, I can do this quicker than mom and dad, so I'm going to do it. But Let's say mom and dad can still do the laundry and it involves walking up and down the steps, which is exercise. And 
if it takes them six hours, what difference does it make? It's activity and it's exercise. So if your parents can still do things like that, let them do that. Only do the things that they can't do because over time they will need your help with the laundry and with meals and with medications and more and more. You don't want to feel too burdened up front. And again, you want it to be as equal participation as possible. Talk to me about burnout. Oh, caregiver burnout is extreme. And and there's really a lot of risks to it that caregivers don't understand. So caregivers don't sleep um, through the night. Or if they have a loved one who has dementia, they may be awake and sleeping and awake and sleeping. And then it's the idea of I never have any time for myself. I'm always running, doing these things. I have to be the one to make all of these decisions. And all of that really does affect our brains. Stress affects our brains and it affects our health. A lot of caregivers who become burned out will isolate. They'll stop seeing their friends. They'll stop going to social activities. I had a caregiver about four weeks ago who contacted me and he said, oh, it was late at night. I was very frustrated and I'm searching on the internet for help. And he said, I almost thought about committing suicide. And then I found one of your videos and you gave me hope. And here I am talking to you today. That's pretty cool. I like that. It really was. And I, you know, I hesitate because I don't like to, I mean, I don't want people to find me in that desperate of a mood, but caregivers do need help. And I think I'm going to cough here in a minute. So I don't know if you want to stop. Okay. But... You can cough. <coughs> That's no big deal. We Sorry. all cough. Excuse me. <laughs> all right. We know that uh, statistically a large number of caregivers predecease the care recipient. So in the and then what happens? Uh, I call it not having a backup plan. So a lot of times it is the spousal caregiver and especially for caregivers of people with Alzheimer's or dementia, because those really are 24 seven, not that a chronic disease cannot be, but Alzheimer's, you know, people can have behaviors and they can have sleep issues and a lot of hands-on care. And so those caregivers who our spouses never take a break, so they get sick and they pass away. And then it's their children. And sometimes if they don't have children, then people like me who were appointed, court-appointed guardians would come onto the scene. I would get a call from the county saying, in fact, one of my first guardianship cases was a married couple who were estranged from their kids. The husband had cancer. He passed away. His wife had Alzheimer's. And and I got appointed to be her guardian for the rest of her life because there was no one. And the parents didn't make any plans. So it goes back to the importance of making sure that you do have power of attorney documents and, and a backup for you as the caregiver if something happens to you and you can't be that person. Well, that leads into gaining awareness of the personal and financial obligations resulting from caregiving, the status of the care recipient, uh, how the finances are being handled. Uh, That's the non-medical but critically important side of caregiving because if the care recipient can't maintain the home, can't pay their bills, uh, they get in serious trouble. Well, they do. And this is the the discussion about, about Medicaid. So are mom and dad ever going to run out of money? Or what do we do when mom or dad run out of money? And when is that? Is that a year from now? Is it three years from now? And how do we plan for it? So I always recommend that families have these conversations. And and it is hard to talk about money. It really is hard to talk about money. 
especially sometimes parents will think that their kids are more interested in their money than taking care of them. And that's not always the case, but wherever you live, if there is a concern about not having enough money and care increasing, it's important to contact the local social services department, the Medicaid office, just to find out what those qualifications are, because it can take six months to get an application approved. Or if you need long-term care in a nursing home, it can take a couple of months to find an available room in a nursing home. So if you wait till the last minute, it's, it's way more stressful than talking about it and planning for it. Well, we got about 30 seconds left. Uh, how can folks get a hold of you? So my website, PamelaDWilson.com, is the easiest place to find me. Um, on there is my book and information about my podcast. There's a free library for caregivers. There are online courses, and there's a lot of videos on my YouTube channel. That is also Pamela D. Wilson. PamelaDWilson.com. Yes. Hey, Pamela D. Wilson, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Ron. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Well, you take care. And uh, when's the second book coming out? You know, I am. I told everybody that I would never write another book. You know, I'm doing a lot of online courses, and those are honestly like writing a book. My my stay at home is 52 hours of content, and I think wow. that was that was more than even writing the book. So right. that's kind of where my writing is these days. <laughs> Got to go. You take care. Thank you I'm so Ron much. Aarons. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you very much, Pamela Wilson. Bye-bye. Carol Zorniel off today on special assignment. Thanks for listening to Caregiver SOS on air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.